our good friend and Baylor grad, Shahan Jayaraja, is, uh, from Texas, Dave Campbell's Texas Football Magazine. Shahan, good morning to you. How you doing? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. Good deal. Appreciate you being on with us. First off, congratulations to you. Notice this week uh, you're named a 2021 Outstanding Young Alum by the Baylor Line Foundation. Congratulations on that. Hey, well, thank you so much. You know, it's always it's always special to be honored, but it's especially special when uh, when it feels like your family's honoring you. And, and obviously, you know, all the people there in Waco and at Baylor, you know, they feel like family to me. Very good. Well, congratulations. Very well deserved. And uh, enjoy your work and appreciate everything you're doing. Uh, what do you think about this game? Uh, am I right? Nobody disagrees that these aren't the two best teams that are matching up tomorrow. No, I, I think after going through this full season, I don't think there's any doubt about it. You know, I think that everybody knows that Oklahoma got off to a little bit of a slow start, but, but since then, I mean, they've really been pretty dominant the last couple of weeks. They obviously got some guys back, uh, like running back Ramondre Stevenson and, and Ronnie Perkins on the edge. And since that's happened, I mean, this has been not just, you know, one of the better teams in the Big 12, but, but they've almost been the level of those Oklahoma caliber teams that we've seen the last couple of years. And for Iowa State, I mean, they started the season pretty strong, all things considered, and they have finished just absolutely dominant, especially playing at home where they've really just dominated on the defensive side of the ball. I don't think that anybody else is playing anywhere near the level that these two teams are playing at, so I'm excited to see them kind of get a rematch here. And I've said this several times, Oklahoma kind of gave everybody a head start. You know, they started 0-2 in conference play, the losses to Kansas State and then Iowa State, and then they really got going. But when they got going, a big part of that, as you mentioned, was getting uh, Stevenson back at running back and, and Ronnie Perkins back on the defensive side. That was a real key for them, wasn't it? Yeah, it really was. And I think that we saw earlier in the year, and even in, in the first matchup between these two teams, that having so much youth at running back really played a big part in this. And to be fair to them also, you know, the offensive line, I think needed some time to come together. They, they were having some issues, but uh, you know, you were throwing young guys out there like Seth McGowan, who, you know, is a fantastic player, but who's a freshman. And when you were able to add a kid back like Stevenson, you know, I think that the offense really opened up uh, just less was on Spencer Rattler's shoulders. And, and on the defensive side, you know, I think that Perkins, really just was that final piece in this defense that plays really, really well, as Baylor fans saw a couple of weeks ago. Um, and I think that they've been pretty dominant on that side of the ball ever since he came back. So I think that, you know, look, I think that football's a team game. One or two guys don't necessarily change everything. But I think that if, if the right guy gets put in the right spot in the right situation, uh, I think that sometimes that can just change the way a team looks. How much of Oklahoma's, uh, you know, sprint to the finish was Spencer Rattler just getting some experience? You know, he made some, you know, questionable throws early in the year, but he has gotten better as the season's gone on. Uh, I, I guess that's natural for a freshman in that position. Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you what. I think that the thing you say about Rattler is that out of these great quarterbacks that they've had the last three or four years, uh, I mean, I think that he arguably has the most natural arm talent of any of them. He throws the ball just with it's so effortless for him and I think that like you mentioned earlier in the year uh it just took time for him to kind of catch up to where he's reading defenses the way that he needs to you know he obviously didn't have a three-game non-conference slate to kind of get some of that stuff in order and, and honestly he plays two of the worst teams to, to have those kinds of bad games against in Kansas State and Iowa State to open the year so since then I think he's done a really good job of settling down a little bit I, I think that it definitely helped that Marvin Mims has kind of emerged as his go-to receiver and, 
and he knows where to go with the ball. Uh, but he's been tremendous the last couple of weeks, and and I think that, you know, I think that while he was not the first team All Big Twelve quarterback, I think that if we are picking a quarterback to start a franchise with today, I think that Spencer Rattler would be the guy. Yeah, good point. How much of a factor do you think it could be tomorrow? Oklahoma's been here a lot in the championship game. They know, you know, they're no, they know their way around uh, AT&T Stadium. For Iowa State, it's a new experience. I mean, they haven't won a conference championship since 1912 and haven't, uh, you know, haven't been in this championship game. How much of a factor might that be? Yeah, I think that definitely early in these kinds of games, that's when you really see that, right? You really see sometimes, you know, for a team like Iowa State, maybe the moment at the beginning is a little big for them. And then they, I think they'll settle in, and I think they'll be just fine. Um, but, you know, yeah, I mean, this is old hat for Oklahoma. They've been in every single one of these big 12 championship games since they brought them back. They've won, what, what is it, five straight championships, right. I believe. It's, it's unbelievable what this team has been able to accomplish. But, you know, the flip side of that, and what I'll say is that, the last several times that Oklahoma's done this, and every time under Lincoln Riley, they've been playing for a shot at the playoffs. So, you know, that isn't here this time. Whereas Iowa State, like you mentioned, I mean, <laughs> I think that, uh, you know, people need to understand, again, 1912 is the last year that they won a conference championship, and they've only played in one conference championship game since then. You know, they've only won one division since then. So we're talking about, uh, you know, a team that really has never had that kind of success. Winning a conference championship would be the biggest thing to ever happen to this program. And there's a lot of seniors on this team is another part of it. You know, you have guys like Mike Rose and Jaquan Bailey who won't be back next year, who won't get another shot at this. So I do think that Oklahoma will definitely have an edge in terms of being able to come out there and be comfortable in this setting. But I definitely think that Iowa State is going to have a lot of motivation to come out and, and try to shock the world. Shayhan, when you look at the uh, the layoff that Oklahoma has had with not being able to play West Virginia, how does that factor into this matchup? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And, you know, the other thing that we say about it, too, right, is that the last game that they played was against Baylor, and it was not a very good offensive game for them. And I think, I think way more of that had to do with the way Baylor played defensively than them struggling. But, uh, but you know, they haven't had a good performance since they played Oklahoma State about a month ago, right? And Whereas Iowa State obviously had a couple great performances to close the season, you know, a 42-6 to win over West Virginia, going on the road at Texas and, and dominating Kansas State 45-0. to So I do think that Iowa State is a team that probably is in a little bit more rhythm. But at the same time, I mean, I do think that at least Oklahoma got enough games to play with each other. Uh, you know, from all indications, it seems like they should have the majority of their team and had the majority of their team through practice. So I do think Oklahoma is going to be okay, but I do think that, you know, Iowa State's probably going to be in, in a good little rhythm. And, and, you know, maybe that's something that sort of offsets uh, the moment being very big. You mentioned a while ago about Oklahoma being in these situations and with the opportunity to play for the CFP on the line. If Iowa State finds a way to win this game, is there any way at all that you could see them working their way into the uh, college football playoff talk? Yeah, well, I'll tell you what. I'm a little surprised with how much respect the playoff committee has given Iowa State. I, I think that they've been tremendous this year. I think that, uh, you know, ever since those last, first couple of games ended, I think they have played like a, you know, a top 10, top 5 caliber team. But it has been a little surprising to me to see just how much respect they've gotten. And Oklahoma, obviously, has gotten great respect, too. They're a top 10 team right now. That said, uh, I think it's going to be really tough because I think that what you're asking for Iowa State is, is you'll ask them to win the game, obviously, but then you'll ask a two-loss Iowa State team to jump not only, you know, whoever loses, let's say it's Ohio State, but they'd have to jump Texas A&M as well. 
I think that that's probably going to be a little difficult. Um, look, I'm, I'm never going to say it's impossible because, again, I think that I think that from a dominance perspective over the last three games, I think that Iowa State has played like a top-four team in America. But it, it, I think it's going to be a lot to ask for them to come in and jump, you know, Texas A&M and Ohio State and, and obviously, you know, maybe a Clemson or an order, Notre Dame just depends, obviously. Uh but look, I think that there's definitely a chance. This has been one of the weirdest seasons in a while. The thing that you say about them versus Texas A&M is that they will have the conference championship bump, which, you know, as, as we remember from 2014, did make a difference. Uh, I think that it's going to be interesting to watch, but uh, I would lean towards snow right now. But look, I'm not going to try and sit here and pretend that I know what the playoff committee is thinking. <laughs> Absolutely. Hard to predict sometimes. Shehan Jayaraja is with us. Dave Campbell's Texas Football Magazine. Uh, I know you saw the uh, Big 12 awards, which were announced yesterday, and uh, first team, second team, honorable mention teams. Uh, anything uh, jump off the page at you uh, about any of those, either the awards or first or second teams? Yeah, I'll tell you what. I, it's, I will say first, I think that it's kind of funny how, uh, how difficult it was to pick the defensive team versus, you know, the offensive team kind of fell into place. You know, obviously the Big 12 has been such an offensive conference for a while, but I think that everybody who watches Baylor knows, you know, it's been probably a shift over the last three years or so where all of a sudden you see these great defenders coming in and playing. But that said, I was I was absolutely blown away that Raleigh Tejada was not even an honorable mention mm-hmm. pick. I, I thought that, you know, he has been one of the better cornerbacks in the nation this year. And actually – Obviously, everybody knows what happened during that Oklahoma State game. That was that was a really rough game for him. But heading into that game, he led the nation in yards per coverage snaps. So we're talking about a player who's been up there with anybody. He's not one of those guys with a lot of pass breakups or interceptions. Maybe that just hurts him if you're not kind of paying attention. But I was pretty blown away. And, and in that same vein, from West Virginia, uh, defensive back Tyke Smith not getting in a first or second team. That, that was unbelievable to me. Um, you know, it, it's just, it, I get it. It's really hard. You have to, you have to narrow it down to, to eight defensive backs. You've got to narrow it down to eight defensive linemen and six linebackers. But I was really surprised kind of the guys that they lean towards. Um, and, you know, look, I, I think that the voters are obviously, you know, they're using their own consideration. I'm sure that a lot of them are thinking, who do we game plan for? A lot of them are thinking, who do we see make plays? You know, I can tell you, you know, from a from a media perspective, sometimes, you know, people tend to lean on the stats when they haven't seen players play as much as they have. But I think that a guy like Tejada has been so good this year. I, I think that he really got uh, – I, I think he really got job there. So Tristan Ebner will return next season for Baylor. How big of that, uh, especially from a leadership standpoint, for Coach Aranda to have a guy like that come back? Yeah, I, I think that's huge. I actually missed that news. So that's, that's tremendous news for them. Um, you know, I think that – it, it was obviously tough sledding when it came to playing running back in the running scheme this year, but I think that just having a guy like that, like you mentioned, a single-digit number guy, uh, somebody who was the leader on this team, somebody who, you know, as a return specialist, was as good as anybody in college football this year, and, and I expect to potentially, you know, get some national attention as a return specialist. I, I think that's huge. You know, this is a guy who's kind of been there as the program has grown, who's seen uh, the program at its highest, and, and obviously seen it at its lowest, and I think that especially in that running back room. I, I think that to have that leadership is going to be really important. And we all know what he can do on the field as a player. And, and also, on top of everything, I'm glad that he gets another shot to kind of, you know, more than anything, uh, get another shot at his senior year. You know, this was obviously such a tough year for him um, and for this program overall. So I'm glad that he's going to get an, another opportunity to try to make it right.
a hot topic here in Waco, and I'm sure for y'all up there in the Metroplex as well, is uh, Charlie Brewer entering the transfer portal where he might end up. And I, for me personally, I feel like a school like an SMU would be a good landing point. But do you know if um, – is there any rumblings about Shane Bichelle possibly returning next season? Yeah, I think that I would probably lean towards uh, him leaving. Now, that's not necessarily – especially sourced, but I think that that's what I would probably lean towards. Right. And I think that the other thing, too, that you that you look at with SMU is that, uh, you know, I think that they have started to reach out a little bit to some of these grad transfer quarterbacks. They've got a tremendous, tremendous freshman quarterback coming in named uh, Preston Stone, who's like a top 100 type recruit, a game-changing recruit for that program. But I think that there's a lot of thoughts in, uh, you know, in Dallas that, they want to get a guy in there to maybe play for a year to maybe help him learn the ropes that you're not throwing a freshman out there immediately. And, you know, as for Michelle, I, I do think, you know, I, I think that there are plenty of good reasons for him to come back, but at the same time, the thing that I'll say is that I kind of feel like he's accomplished what he can accomplish at SMU. You know, I kind mm -hmm. of feel like he got two great years there. He had an opportunity to obviously be on the cover of our magazine. He had an opportunity to win 10 games there for the first time since 1983, which is just tremendous, obviously. And, uh, you know, they're, they're going to lose some production. So this isn't necessarily going to be a better team in 2021. So I wouldn't be shocked if he decided, you know what, I've played five years of college football. Maybe it's time for me, but Look, Shane's a fantastic kid and one of the best players in the state, so I wouldn't be shocked if he came back. But I do think that there's going to be an opening there. Shayhan, final thought. Uh, we'll have the championship games, uh, one tonight and four coming up tomorrow. Then the CFP does their thing. Then the bowls all line up right after that. Uh, you know, what are the chances Big 12 gets two New Year's Day bowl slots with Iowa State and Oklahoma? Yeah, I think that they're in really good shape because – Look, I think that heading into this game, everybody kind of assumes that Oklahoma is going to be the favorite. And if Oklahoma beats Iowa State and it's close, I mean, these are two top ten teams. I don't think that either of them are going to fall very far. And especially with a team like, uh, you know, like I've mentioned Miami, who, who lost last week, obviously, in, in pretty tough fashion, kind of falling out of that mix, I think that potentially opens up the spot as an at-large. Um, and, and really, I think that you look, too, at uh, at. The SEC, you know, Florida, depending on how bad they lose to Alabama, that could open up a spot. I think that the Big 12 is in really good shape to have an opportunity to get multiple uh, New Year's Six Bowl teams. And, and obviously for, you know, what it's kind of been the last couple of years, I think that would be huge for the conference. Very good. Well, appreciate your expertise and great to visit with you and have a happy holidays. Merry Christmas and hope to see you soon. Merry Christmas, John. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks very much. Appreciate it. Shayhan J. Raja from Dave Campbell's Texas Football Magazine.